This morning is a little different. Sunday, we're going to take a break from our regular sermon series through the book of Job, and we're going to resume that next week, Lord willing. This morning, we're going to be talking about discipleship and serving. So the title is On a Journey with Jesus, and I'm going to be reading from a couple of different passages. One is Matthew 28, and the other is Romans 12. So I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, and then a few cross-references brought in during the message. But let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, as we approach you this morning and and come to the reading and proclamation of your word, Father, we ask that you would give us the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. We want to see your truth. We want to hear and internalize it. We want to meditate on it. We want to apply it in our lives. So, Father, help us to see what you want us to see this morning and to hear what you want us to hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If someone tells you that they're going on a journey, it usually means they're going on a long trip. A journey typically extends over great distances and covers many miles. If you're going on a journey, you often cross state borders, sometimes maybe even international borders. And it means you're going to be gone for a long time. For example, you could go on a journey to North Africa and you could visit the pyramids in Egypt, or you could go on a journey to England and Scotland and and Ireland and and tour all the different castles over there. That would be a journey. It would be a long trip. If, however, you're going to run to the store and just pick up some milk and butter, that's not a journey. That's a jaunt. Jaunts are much shorter. They don't take as long. They're not traveled over great distances or many miles or probably not crossing any international borders if you're going on a jaunt. If someone tells you they're going on a jaunt, they mean they're going on a short, quick trip. When we look at the New Testament, we see Jesus calling people to himself and he uses a phrase that's two words long. He often says, follow me. If we look back through the Gospels, you'll see that a couple of times. Jesus calls people and he says, follow me. So the question is, when Jesus says, follow me, is he asking people to follow him on a journey or a jaunt? I think the answer is pretty obvious. We, we should probably all know the answer. It's a journey. We're on a journey with Jesus. When God calls us to himself, he calls us to a lifelong journey. Christian discipleship, then, is no jaunt. It is a journey. We're going to be covering many miles and great distances. So this morning I'm going to be talking about the beginning of our journey, which is baptism. A few weeks ago we had a few baptisms here at the church during a morning worship service, and I said I'd talk a little bit more about it later. Now it's later, so we're going to talk about discipleship and, um, excuse me, we're talking about the beginning of the journey, baptism. And then I'm also going to be spending some time talking about continuing the journey through discipleship and serving in the church. So let's go ahead and look at a couple of passages. The first one is Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then also from Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 4. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So two different passages, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and then a few verses from Romans 12. So the first thing we want to talk about is the beginning of our journey with Jesus. It's not a jaunt, it's a journey, it's a long-term following, uh, following of Jesus. And so when we think about baptism, it, it marks, among other things, the beginning of that journey. It's the beginning, beginning of the journey with Jesus. The person being baptized is beginning their journey as a recognized member of Christ's covenant community. The church, whether it's an adult making a profession of faith for the very first time, or whether it's a child of a believer, both of them are beginning a lifelong journey with Jesus. Now, there are two positions of baptism within most Protestant churches. We've talked about these, but I want to talk about them once again. There's two basic positions. One is called uh, believer's baptism or credo-baptism. Credo is Latin for I believe, so that's where we get believer's baptism. That makes sense. And then the other one is covenant baptism or sometimes called infant baptism. You might call, hear it called by that by our Baptist brothers and sisters. It's also called pedo-baptism. Pedo meaning child, so child baptism. We can see where we get that word. But I'm going to be using believer's baptism and covenant baptism because first I think they both both best represent those positions and I think um, in addition to being the more accurate terms, they're probably the easiest to remember. So churches that practice believer's baptism only baptize adults or people that are old enough to make their own profession of faith. That's why they call believer's baptism. Covenant Baptists also baptize adults who are old enough to profess their own faith and their children. That's the difference. We believe that baptizing the child of at least one believing parent is biblical. So Baptist, Pentecostal, and some non-denominational churches hold to believer's baptism, while most Protestant denominations including Reformed, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, Anglican, Congregationalists, and several others, hold to covenant baptism. How a church practices baptism depends on what they believe about baptism. This is key. This is probably the key to unlocking all the, all the disagreements and all the misunderstandings and all the, um, and the clear inability to, to, to see this issue clearly is getting this one piece. How a church practices baptism depends on what they believe about the meaning of baptism. Baptism is a sign of God's covenant promises. Baptism is a sign of God's covenant promises. Covenant signs, like baptism, are given to us by God to visibly confirm the promises of God to the receivers of the covenant. God is the giver, the initiator of the covenant, we are the receivers of the covenant. They are there to remind us of the covenant promise. 
to make the covenant promises more vivid in our minds. They point us to God and to God's promises and His grace. For example, we can go back and look at some of the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. The Noahic Covenant sign functioned in this way. Genesis 9.13 says, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So when we see a rainbow, we are visibly reminded of God's covenant and his promises and his grace and his promise that he's never again going to destroy the earth in a flood. That's what we think of, or that's what we should think of when we see a rainbow. The, the earth and everything in it will continue to exist. The, the seasons will continue to cycle through, summer, winter, spring, fall, until Christ's return. That's a promise from God. The world is not going to end in a nuclear holocaust where we blow the entire world up. The world is not going to be made inhabitable by negligent environmental practices. That's just not going to happen. We've got a promise from God. God will bring this world to an end in his own timing, but the rainbow reminds us of that covenant promise of God. So, the, the rainbow, which is the covenant sign, does not remind us of something we do. The rainbow does not remind us, and it does not point to us or something we have or something we do. It points to God and God's promises. Likewise, baptism does not point to us or something we have or something we do. It points to God and God's promises. It is to remind us not of the faith that we have and that we express, but to remind us of God's promises and grace. You see how that makes a big difference on the practice, how one practices, how a church practices baptism. You have to back up and say, okay, what does baptism mean? If we think it's about us and our faith and our profession and it's there to remind us of the faith that we have, then you're probably only going to get going to give the baptism to believers because that makes sense. But if you understand that covenant signs, like all covenant signs, are there to remind us and to point to God and his promises, then it makes much more sense to practice it the way the Bible presents it. Both circumcision under the old covenant and baptism under the new covenant function in the same way. They're signs of visible covenant membership. It doesn't mean that someone's regenerate. It's not a promise that they for sure will be saved in the end. That's not what baptism is about, because it's not about our faith. They point to the same promise of God. Just as old covenant children, by virtue of being born to believing parents, receive the sign of the visible covenant membership, new covenant children, by virtue of being born to believing parents, are rightly receiving the sign of visible covenant membership. So here's one passage that shows the, the connection between the Old Covenant and New Covenant sign. It's not up on the screen. I'm just going to read it. Colossians 2, 11 through 12. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. So I hope we can see what's being said in this verse. These, these two signs, circumcision and baptism, the Old Covenant sign and the New Covenant sign, they're not just being compared, they're being equated. It says, in him you were circumcised. How were you circumcised? In baptism. It's, it's taking both of those signs and saying, look, it's the same, uh, they mean the same thing, they point to the same promises. So under the Old Covenant, circumcision was given to the children of believers. Uh, God commanded that they be given the sign and be recognized as covenant community members. 
before they were old enough to believe. A lot of the Old Covenant children received the covenant sign, and then we know from Scripture, uh, people like Esau, for example, they grew up, and it turns out they never really expressed genuine belief. They never had truly regenerate saving faith. But yet God says, no, I want you to administer that sign to all the children that are born into the visible covenant community. They are to be marked. That promise is extended to them. It doesn't make any guarantees. They still have to respond to the covenant obligations, faith, repentance, and belief. But the sign and the promise is to be given. The reason it is given to children of believers before they're old enough to believe is because baptism is not a sign of their belief. It's a sign of God's promises and His grace, inclusion into the visible covenant community. Baptism is a visible reminder of God's promises and grace, not a visible reminder of something we do or something we've done. When we look at the Bible, God always, always includes the children of believers in the visible covenant community. Who passed through the Red Sea? Was it just the adults? Or was it the children and infants as well? When we look at the New Testament, we read somewhere like Ephesians 6. What is, who does that address? The covenant community. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So always, God includes the children in the covenant community. They're both signs and seals, circumcision and baptism, of the same promise and truth of God. The righteousness of God is given on the basis of faith. That's why God rightly commanded circumcision to be administered on the eighth day, and that's why he rightly commands that children of believers are to be given the sign of baptism. It does not matter if they're believers or not, or even if they ever turn out to have saving faith, because it's not about faith that the person has. Neither of those things, either not growing up to believe or not having faith, neither of those things nullify the promise of God given and extended. And that's why it can rightly be administered. It means the same thing no matter who receives it. If it's the child of a believing parent or if it's a believer themselves professing belief for the first time, it means the same thing. God's righteousness will be given on the basis of faith. The one who is baptized has begun their journey with Jesus. So baptism is important. That's the beginning of our journey with Jesus. But continuing the journey is also important. So we're going to talk about discipleship and serving in the church. One of the problems that sometimes surfaces in churches with new and old believers alike is a misunderstanding about what Jesus has called us to do. When he says, follow me, what is, what is he calling us to? A journey, not a John. There was a, a high school boy who was on, uh, at home one Saturday morning and then his dad popped his head in the bedroom and said, hey, you want to run a few errands with me? He said, uh, I don't know. And he said, come on, just, just do it right along. I mean, just, I'll have you in the car and we'll talk. We'll be back in a few minutes. And the son said, okay. So he put his shoes on and he, they got in the car and they went and got gas and then they went to the store and the dad ran in and the son stayed in the car and hung out and the dad ran into the store and got a, a watch battery that he needed for his watch and he came back out. And then they drove to the repair shop for the car. And the son said, what are we doing here? Dad said, oh, I just need a little work done on the, on the car. It shouldn't take long. And so they dropped the car off and then they were sitting in the waiting room and an hour and a half later, the son was 
sitting with his arms crossed, looking out the window, and his dad said, what's the matter? And he said, I thought we were going to be gone for just a little time, little amount of time. Here we are, it's taking up the whole day. His dad said, well, thanks for coming along. You see, if we think we're just on a jaunt with Jesus, if we think he's calling us to just do a, a quick errand, uh, back in five minutes type of thing, then we're much more likely to become kind of burnt out or, or depressed or uh, just kind of soured on the whole idea of, of discipleship. If we're expecting to get back soon to our life, then it's not going to make a whole lot of sense when we realize we're on a journey. But he has called us to a journey. And unlike the illustration of the dad and the son, Jesus is very upfront about what he's calling us to. If someone comes to Christ and they, they really do get mistaken about the fact that they're on a journey and not a jaunt, it's not because Jesus hasn't said so. Uh, he tells them up front. It's a difficult, lifelong journey. Matthew 10, 22 says this, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endures to the end. That sounds like a journey. Likewise, Colossians 1, 21-23, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. We're on a journey, not a jaunt. And enduring faithfulness and continuing steadfastness is an essential part of that journey. If we think Jesus is calling us to a jaunt, then we might be expecting to kind of get saved and then get back to our life. Just kind of like the son who was expecting a, a quick trip out and back. Back to our own self-directed ways. Except now we have the added benefit of being saved from our sins. Just a short trip to baptism and then I can be on my way again. But Jesus calls us to a journey, many miles, lifelong. He calls us to die to ourselves, to lose our life for his sake. If we think we're on a jaunt, then we're not really going to be interested in ongoing growth and discipleship. That belongs to a lifelong journey, not a jaunt. So we need to get that clarified right away. It's a journey, not a jaunt. But if we understand that Jesus has called us to a journey, then we will have the right mindset for ongoing, continual growth and discipleship. So the question might quickly become, well, how? how if, if he has indeed called me to this lifelong journey, how is it that I'm supposed to, to progress? How am, I, how am I supposed to put one foot in front of the other, so to speak, in terms of spiritual growth? Excellent question, and I'm going to hit some bullet points. We're not going to spend five minutes on each one of these, but I want to hit some of these as a bullet point. First of all, the ordinary means of grace. Lord's Day worship, number one. It's the fourth commandment. Please don't let anyone convince you that the Sabbath commandment no longer exists today. All the other Ten Commandments exist, but that one we've just kind of thrown out. It's been abrogated. Don't need that anymore. That's not true. The Lord has commanded us to meet and worship together as a body one day in seven. And he has given that as a provision for the journey. I don't know anybody who would set out on one of those journeys like to the pyramids in Egypt or the, the castle tour in England 
I can't imagine anyone leaving with no money, no extra change of clothes, no credit card, no cell phone, not, nothing at all. Of course not. You need to have some provisions if you're going on a journey. God has given us provisions, and one of those is Lord's Day worship. Uh, among other things, the, the authoritative proclamation of God's word is one way we grow when we hear and listen in faith. God uses, by the power of his Holy Spirit, uses that word to help us grow and mature, coming to the table. I hope we realize that, that those that say, oh, I don't know, I don't really need to go to church, because there is some of that attitude still out there today. It's kind of this independent, um, I just need me and my Bible, that's it. Well, no, actually, that's not what God has commanded. It's not just me and my Bible. It's you in the church where God has commanded you to be. One of the things we're missing out on if we're not in the Lord's Day worship is the table. Again, another provision. God has given us this covenant sign. Once again, what is the table? Is this, is this a visible reminder of something we've done? Or is the table a visible reminder of something what Christ has done? It's a, it's a covenant sign. It reminds us of something God has done, his promises and his grace. So if we're not in church, we're missing out on the table. I, I, it, never under, it never made sense to me why someone would voluntarily choose to separate themselves from Christ's church and Christ's table. They're, they're voluntarily choosing the highest form of church discipline excommunication or being barred from the table, if someone goes through the Matthew 18 process and they've reached the point after several attempts to, to get them to turn around, they've reached the point where the, the, the elder board of a church, or a local church says, we, we try to reach out in grace and love to our best ability and you persist on living in ongoing, unrepentant sin. Therefore, we have to acknowledge where you're at. You're living apart from Christ so we're cutting you off from, from the table of Christ. When that happens, that's the highest form of discipline anyone could could experience in the church. And a believer, a professing believer, by saying, eh, I don't need to go, they're choosing to experience the harshest form of discipline available to Christ's church. Makes no sense whatsoever. Ordinary means of grace, Lord's Day worship, that's one of the provisions. Unless providentially hindered, we are here. Daily Bible reading. Matthew 4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Daily Bible reading. The, the Bible is not a novel that we can, you know, burn through on vacation, and then once we've read it, say, well, I'll pass it on to somebody else, or I'll, I'll sell it at the yard sale, because I don't need to read this anymore. I've read it. I know the ending. The Bible is not a novel. The Bible is the living and active Word of God. God uses His Word to convict us, to teach us, to speak to us. Uh, as one person said, um, you poke the Bible and it pokes you back. It's not something to be read once and put on the shelf. The Bible is something we need on a daily basis. Prayer, talking with God. Talking with God. Have you ever tried to have a relationship with someone and not talk with them? It doesn't work. Not very well. In fact, that's one of the first things that people say when they experience drifting away from someone. They say, yeah, you know what? Um, I don't really know them very well anymore. We, we never talk anymore. Or it's been a long time since we've talked. The, the less you talk with someone, the less chances are you're going to have a solid relationship. The good news is it's not too late. You can pick up right where you left off. Talk to God in prayer. 
Sunday school, small group fellowship, community groups, it's not uncommon for someone when they're giving their testimony to say, the times when I look back on my life, the times when I grew the most is when I was in a small group. When I was either one-on-one with somebody or, or I met with these group of people, that's really when I felt like an infusion of, of growth in my spiritual life. There's some things you, you just can't get when you're an island, when it's just you and your Bible. We need our brothers and sisters. Think of all the one another commands in, in the New Testament. MP3 sermons, teachings, and readings. We need to be consuming good, solid, biblical teaching on a regular basis. In addition to Lord's Day worship, in addition to Sunday morning hearing preaching and and good teaching, in addition, we need to be consuming on a regular basis good, solid, biblical teaching. There is so much out there, and I think I, I mentioned a couple Sundays ago, if we can't, if we're not regularly consuming good, regular uh, Bible teaching, that's on us. It really is, because it's not from a lack of resources. Uh, there is enough out there that if we started right now and we listened or read 24 hours a, a day, seven days a week, we wouldn't finish it all. There's that much out there. There's more to consume than we can eat. And a lot of it is um, extremely helpful. Our readers are leaders, and leaders are readers. This is especially important if we ever hope to be a leader in Christ Church. If, if we want to ever be in a position where we can effectively minister to other people, then we have to recognize that we're not going to be able to do that out of the resources of ourself. We're, we're just not equipped. We, we are not going to be effective leaders and be able to minister to others out of the resource of me. We, we've got to bring in other teachings, other resources, other people speaking into our lives. Um, there's so much more out there than what we are carrying around in our own mind. And if we're ever going to grow and be an effective leader, we've got to read to put it inside our minds. So all these things are provisions for the journey with Jesus. If we want to take some forward steps, then we've got to, to do some of these things. They're part of the discipleship process. And we said earlier that the Great Commission is the mission of the church. One person asked me not too long ago, they said, what's the mission of Peace Church? And I said, the mission of Peace Church is the mission of every single New Testament church. It's the Great Commission. We're here to make disciples. That's the mission of the church. So here's Matthew 28 once again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's the beginning of the journey. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all they have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the beginning of the journey is being baptized, but then the rest, the continuing of the journey, is that teaching and spiritual growth and serving. In order to progress and in order for a church to effectively complete the mission of the church, which is to make disciples, we need to have a plan. If you've been around for some of the previous Serving Sunday sermons, you've heard this this plan, and so I'm not going to throw the graphics up, but they're outside, right outside the sanctuary, in the form of that that ship diagram and the flowchart with the colored circles diagram. So our plan is represented by that flowchart. The the Peace Community Church Discipleship Plan are these colored circles, and they're helpful because they're visual, they're simple, and it helps people identify where they are in the discipleship pathway. 
So remember, discipleship is this big process that, can, that contains everything from reaching a, a new believer with the gospel all the way to mature leader in Christ's church and everything in between. That's the discipleship process. Now, we understand not everybody is going to be uh, an ordained minister or a missionary serving on the front lines in a, in a closed country or you know all these different things. We understand that. Not everybody's called to that. But we are called to go as far as we can and as far as we've been gifted. And so we want to help people do that. One way to do that is to take someone to that discipleship pathway and say, okay, here you are, you're in this circle. Is there any reason you wouldn't want to take the next step? Is there any reason you wouldn't want to move to the next circle? If so, let's help you do that. Let's con continue your journey with your discipleship. In the discipleship pathway, once we've found where we're at, we can move along and, and go to the next circle. But sometimes people might say this. They might say, well, I can't see any growth. I, I hear you, I get that, I, I agree, but you know, when I look back on my life, I don't see a whole lot of forward steps. Or I, I don't see any visible growth in my, in my spiritual life. If that's the case, or if you hear someone making those comments, it might be one of two things. Number one, they may not be immersed in those ordinary means of grace. All those things I listed a moment ago, like Lord's Day worship, regular, regular reading, regular prayer. If someone's saying, I'm not feeling too much growth, it could be that they're not immersed in those ordinary means of grace. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul talks about jars of clay. And he's referring to us. He's referring to, to believers, to people. And believe it or not, God has remarkably chosen cracked, holy, deteriorating clay pots like you and me to work through and to minister to others and to be his church. So we are the clay pot, but we're not perfect. We have imperfections. And if you tried to fill an imperfect clay vessel with, with some liquid, it's never going to fill up. It's always going to run out the hole or seep out the cracks, especially if you're doing it intermittently. But I'll tell you one way to make sure and guarantee that that clay pot is filled, and that is to immerse it in the liquid. If you keep something underwater, if you keep something immersed, it has no choice but to be filled. It's the same way with us. We're clay pots, and we have holes and cracks. If we just pour a little in here on Sunday morning, and then maybe once in a while remember to read something, or, or you know, maybe once in a while maybe hear something on the radio for 20 minutes, we're never going to be filled. We're never going to be as effective as we could be, and we're never going to see that progress that we'd like to see. However, if you are immersed in those things... If you're in the Lord's church and, and, and every Sunday morning, if you're coming to the table as often as it's presented, if you're, if you're attending Sunday school or joining a small group or you're in a Bible study, men's, women's ministries, student ministries, if, if you're regularly in God's word and in prayer and you're talking with him, if you are immersed and held underwater, I guarantee you, you will see growth. So that's the first thing. Someone might not be immersed. Number two... If someone says, I can't see any growth, doesn't, no matter, it doesn't matter what I do, nothing really changes, here's the other thing that might be going on. They might be forgetting that this is a journey and not a jaunt. 
if you remember when you were a child, and maybe you have some kids that still do this, and you go on a journey, and you're in the car, and you pull the map out, and somebody from the back seat says, Mom, show me where we are on the map. So Mom says, okay, we're right here. And they say, we're going way over here. Or maybe they have to flip the, the atlas to a different state. We're going here, but now we're right here. The child sits back down, and then five minutes later, they pull up, and they say, where are we now? And Mom says, well, we're still here. And then to the child, that doesn't make any sense. They've seen all the scenery go by, and they're, they're going 70 miles an hour, and all the roads passed underneath the car. What do you mean we're still here? Well, they haven't had enough time yet. But if they wait two hours, and they say, Mom, where are we now? We used to be here, now we're here. We've made some progress. If you're getting that feeling like nothing's changing, it may be because you haven't <laughs> waited enough time. It's a journey, not a jaunt. So I wouldn't expect to see great leaps and bounds in our forward progress and our spiritual growth if we're looking at it from day to day or from week to week or even month to month sometimes. However, if you wait a couple years and look back, you should be able to see some growth. There should be some distance on the map. There, you should be at a different point. At the very least, you should be able to say, I'm not where I want to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be. You should be able to say, I know I'm still not there yet, but praise God, I'm still not there. There's a difference. So one of those two things, maybe you're not immersed, or maybe um, you're trying to check progress too quickly. Well, we looked at Matthew 28, we looked at Romans 12, 4 through 8. You remember in Romans it says, we all have gifts, we all have gifts given by the Holy Spirit, let us use them. That's a command. So we should all be identifying our gifts and then using them in Christ's church. It's okay, it's permissible to use our gifts outside of Christ's church, but at the very minimum, we should be using our gifting in the local church. That's just a non-negotiable. That's how Christ set up his church. Finding your area of giftedness and right service area is not an exact science. I'm generally not a fan of the, the inventories where they have you fill out a questionnaire and then at the end they say, here, this is your spiritual gift. Because it's kind of like an occupational test. Have you ever taken one of those in the guidance counselor's office? I don't know what I want to do after high school. Well, here, fill this test out. Um, and then you, you get the test filled out and it says you should be an offshore oil worker. And, uh, well, that's probably not a good fit for me. It doesn't sound like the, my ideal job. It's the same thing. They're not 100% reliable. It's not an exact science. What it is, is kind of like trying on a new pair of shoes. If you've ever tried on a new pair of shoes, it could go a couple different ways. Sometimes you might put on a pair of shoes in the store and you think, oh, these feel great. And then you kind of walk around and say, yeah, I like the looks of these. And you're looking in one of those little mini slanted mirrors and you're kind of thinking yeah these these look great and they I, I can I can wear these but then you take them home and then after the first day you're thinking ah oh, I've got some blisters on my heel or uh, these, these, something's not right with the geometry I can feel in my hips and my back these shoes are not working for me sometimes that's kind of the way it is with spiritual giftedness you might see something an area of service in the church and that might look really good to you. And you think, yeah, I'd like to do that. And so at first, there's all this enthusiasm and, and desire. But very quickly, you find out this 
isn't the best fit. I would like to do this, or I thought I would like to do this, but as you're looking around, other people seem to be much better at that than you are, and uh, you're not getting a whole lot of positive feedback, and you're kind of maybe more discouraged than you are encouraged, and after a while, it's better just to take those shoes off and, and go find something different. That's one way it can go. Sometimes, though, it's like trying on a pair of shoes, and you put them on, and they at first feel a little stiff. And you think, huh, well, uh, these look like they're going to do the job from, for what I'm looking for, but they're pretty tight. And the salesperson says, well, they're 100% leather. You need to break them in. So you buy them, and you take them home, and they feel better maybe after a couple days, and even better after a couple weeks, and then after a month. They're the most comfortable shoes you've ever worn. That's also how kind of, it kind of is with spiritual gifts. You can try them on, and at very, the very first you might think, I don't know, um, I feel a little bit out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to keep with it. And as you keep with it, you start to find joy in it. And as you keep with it, you look around, and it seems like you're doing a really good job, maybe even better than some other people at this, and you start to hear encouraging words. That's kind of how it is with spiritual gift. What we don't want to do is kick off our shoes and sit down. Okay? We want to find a pair, of, a pair of comfortable shoes that keep us fit and active and moving in Christ's church. We don't want to kick our shoes off and just have a seat. You've heard the 80-20 rule where 20% uh, of the people do 80% of the work in the church. That's not what we're shooting for. And that's also why in the back we have the, the service and the, and the areas of service as a church represented by a rescue ship and not a cruise ship. On a cruise ship, you've got a lot of people that are part of the crew, but you've got a lot more people that are just passengers, and they're just there for the ride and the experience. We want a rescue ship. We want a ship where every single person on has a job to do. Every single person has some part to play and is serving. Uh, we want to feel, or excuse me, we want to create an easy on-ramp to service in the church, but the on-ramp does include membership. The on-ramp does include membership. So in order to serve in Christ's church, you need to become a member of Christ's church. And that's because in order to, to serve, you're going to be given a certain level of responsibility. So before you're given responsibility in Christ's church, you first need to join Christ's church. It's also because those people that are serving in all these different areas are representing Christ and his church. So before someone can represent faithfully uh, Christ's church, they need to join themselves to Christ's church. And I hope everybody sees the wisdom in that. Um, it, it wouldn't make much sense at all to, to put people forward in areas of responsibility and start giving them a key to the back door of the church and put them on, on, on groups that make directional decisions for the church, but they themselves have made no commitment whatsoever and say, no, I'm, I'm not really interested in joining. Well, that's why we put that there. In order to serve in Christ's church, you need to be a member of Christ's church. There are many opportunities to serve and to lead, and once again this morning we have the, the ministry fair, so after the conclusion of the service this morning, there'll be people standing at tables, and they'll be able to answer questions and help you get connected and maybe try on a new pair of shoes if you're, if you're not currently serving. Baptism is the start of a lifelong journey with Jesus, and then we are called to continue that journey through discipleship and service in Christ's church. We're going to close with Ephesians 2.10. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you that we have the privilege of being a part of it and serving. Father, we thank you for the provisions for this journey with you, including uh, Lord's Day worship and your, your word and the table and sacraments and um, uh, prayer and, and getting connected with one another in small groups. Father, all these things you have provided for the journey. Father, we ask that we would grow in our service and our discipleship and that we would be found faithful at the end of the journey. Amen.